Tonight on Huckabee, one veteran's battle against Facebook censorship. Eric Metaxas premieres Donald Drains the Swamp, and the Imperials reunite. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Pilbrick. And now, here's Mike Huckabee. Wow, I love this audience. You're staying for a long time, audience. I don't know if you know it. We're keeping you for a couple of weeks. <laughs> hey, I never knew the Democrats cared so much about the health of Republicans. But that's the only conclusion that I can come to when I watch mobs of Democrats get between Republicans and their dinner in public restaurants. <laughs> I mean, when Maxine Waters, the California congressman, first encouraged people to harass Republicans in public places, I foolishly thought that she was being hateful, bigoted, even encouraging the kind of incivility that could lead to violence. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. Ooh. Well, her commands seem to work. I mean, DHS Secretary Kirsten Nielsen had to leave a restaurant this summer. Mitch McConnell and his wife were yelled at by an unruly mob just this last weekend. It's happened to Senator Ted Cruz and his wife. Even my own daughter was asked to leave the Red Hen restaurant in Lexington, Virginia, because the leftist owner decided to practice the kind of bigoted discrimination that we haven't seen since the attempted lunch counter integration of the 60s. Florida Attorney General Pam Bondi got chased out of a movie theater. And then a University of Mississippi professor urge people to approach Republicans who are dining and stick all five fingers in their food. Now, there are parents who are paying big bucks to the state of Mississippi for tuition, room, and board and books so their little darlings can sit in a classroom with someone who gets paid to urge rude, disgusting, and childish behavior toward people who just happen to be politically different. But maybe I was wrong. Maybe it's not hate or bigotry or petulance after all. It could just be that these folks are not left-wing loons with the manners of a crazed billy goat. Maybe they are genuinely concerned about the health of Republicans and they have decided to encourage us to eat less and skip dessert. So they show up when Republicans are having a meal to disrupt their dinner with the hope to spare them some unneeded calories. I mean, who knew that Maxine and the meal killers were doing these things to preserve and prolong the lives of Republicans who might be tempted to indulge while eating out? So they've determined to protect us from our palates and our plates by screaming at us and grabbing their doggy bags from the table and throwing them onto the street. So I owe Maxine, the professor at Ole Miss, Michael Moore, and the Antifa thugs a heartfelt thanks for being so interested in my culinary and cardiac well-being. <laughs> and I have no doubt that they're hoping that I'll live to be 100 and still working hard to defeat their tax-grabbing, spindalooza, no-borders-and-no-brains policies that would take America back to double-digit unemployment, massive layoffs, being bullied by pipsqueak countries, and ignoring the rule of law and the results of elections that they don't like. And foolishly, I thought they were just being hateful. But to show I have no hard feelings and that I'd like to reciprocate their goodwill, there's one thing I'd really love to do in the upcoming election. Now, I don't want to disrupt their lunch. I just want to eat their lunch and let American working people keep the crumbs that they got with the economic recovery passed by President Trump. 
Senior Airman Brian Colfage was on his second deployment in Iraq when his base suffered a rocket attack that injured him so badly he had multiple amputations. He is still, to this day, the most severely wounded airman to survive any war. Brian is also an architect and an entrepreneur. He recently has come under fire under a different kind of fire, political fire. And he has experienced the censorship from Facebook for his conservative values and activities. Here to tell us more is Brian Colfage. Brian, it is uh, a true honor to have you here. And I think, uh, I, I wanna say this in a way that doesn't sound trite when I tell you, thank you for giving me my liberty and my freedom and the sacrifices you've made for me to have. Thank you, thank I appreciate you. it, you're welcome. You launched a couple of very active pages on Facebook. Uh, you had a huge reach. That's and correct. then one day out of the clear blue, Facebook shut you down. That's correct. What happened? Uh, they, you know, what I think is they don't believe in my political views and they didn't like it and we were a threat to their message coming up on the midterm elections and they wanted to do anything they could to stop it and they, they stopped it. They pulled the plug on everything I built um, since I was injured. Um, all the money, all these companies I've, I've put forth. Um, I could have been living off my government check, doing nothing, sitting on my butt. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to, you know, show my kids what it's like to be an American, to work hard for everything you have. How many people were following you on Facebook? Um, my entire network, uh, my conservative network, was over 10 million. One of your Facebook pages was uh, called? Right Wing News. Right Wing News. And then you had another Facebook page. Uh, it's military grade coffee, and we were a coffee company, and uh, we sold coffee. And that was a company that I co-founded and that we gave 10% back to our veterans, and that's all we did was sell coffee. It had nothing to do with politics. Well, you had also spent an enormous amount of money buying ads on Facebook. So you weren't just using Facebook for free. You were paying them a lot of money. How much money did you pay them over the course of time? Um, we, used, we dumped in over $315,000 of our own revenue that we generated from these companies into Facebook to build our brand and to make our brand big and popular. Um, that's $315,000 that I could have used to put my kids to college multiple times. Um, but, you know, never did I think that if I'm building these companies on this platform that I would be attacked for my views. And that's what happened. I, I was being attacked for my views because they didn't, they, they flat out said, it's because the midterms are coming up and your pages have, are misinformation. And they were just vague about it. They're saying it's putting out misinformation. Did they ever say what? levels of misinformation, what you said that wasn't true, that, never. that they could verify, and they never told you. No, and like, like I've said before, we've had a high-level exec that we talk to all the time, all the time. I call them up, email, whatever it may be, and I, I always remain in contact with them, and I always tell them, I was like, we want to have this meeting, we want to sit down and go over these rules, make sure we understand these rules. Everyone knew when Facebook was cracking down on stuff, we wanted to make sure that we were in regulations. They wouldn't talk to us. They ignored me. So, so let's, for our audience, explain when you say they shut you down, what actually happened? Did you just one day no longer have a Facebook page? That is correct. I heard about it in the news a couple of weeks ago when it all came out. And I have employees, you know, they're veterans. They have to feed their families and everything just yanked. Yanked. No, so one nothing. day you just don't have a Facebook page. The guy that you had been talking to, an executive at Facebook, did he give you any explanation? Um, it, it was a female, and no, she did not give us any explanation, nothing. Not it, even, I've emailed many times, nothing. There's, and they she don't no respond. longer is responding? They don't, yeah, she's not responding, nothing. Uh, she wouldn't respond to any of the other media who contacted her, nobody. Now, I wanna make sure, Brian, they never told you what you did wrong, nope. other than they said it was close to the midterms, misinformation, but they didn't say specifically no. what misinformation, because you could have refuted that. That's correct. You know, in the New York Times, they tried to say we were Russian and all this other stuff. And like, let me, let me, let me, Russian. I, I want you to do something. Uh, I want a close shot. Get the camera and get a close shot of Brian's left chest. I want you to see those medals. I don't think that's Russian military medal sitting on his chest. I got to be honest. It makes me furious that they accused you of having a point of view that they don't like when you've lost both legs and an arm for this country. I don't understand how they can do that 
It's not just doing it to you, Brian. I, I'm sorry they've yeah. done it to you. They've done it to every American who loves our veterans. They've done it to every American who is a veteran. They've done it to every American who has a point of view that they might find offensive. But in America, we're supposed to be able to have different views. What can you do from here? Um, well, right now, you know, we, we set up a website, fightforfreespeech.com, and we are setting up a, a large grassroots organization. And we're going to take the fight to Facebook. We're going to go in and have Congress and Senate investigate this. Um, Good. You should. By golly, you should. What about legal action? Have you talked to uh, attorneys who have given you maybe some assistance that would we help a, you? I'm overwhelmed with the support because I think Americans are seeing that, what's going on. And I mean, if it can happen to me, it can happen to anyone. And it is happening to other people. But it's the first time it really happened to someone who really has a story that it can connect to. And so that's why people are finally seeing that someone's going to stand up for this. And a lot of people are rallying around me because no one has really set up the Facebook. And I think I've given way too much to just to let this go by the wayside. You know, every day I, I wake up, my legs are not there. Every day when I have to run after my kids to do something, I can't run after my kids. And so it's every day that sacrifice I live. My kids live that sacrifice. My wife lives that sacrifice. My family lives that sacrifice. It's just not me. And for those freedoms that I fought for, Facebook is just trampling all over them. And it's, like I said, not just for me, it's for every American. Every American who's had Facebook that's conservative has had their, their freedoms trampled on. And that's not what I fought for. That's not what I gave my legs for and my limbs for. I, I wish that uh, I could personally take you into the Facebook headquarters and let them see you and say to your face what they have cowardly said behind your back when they pulled your Facebook page. I'm gonna tell you, Brian, I cannot thank you enough not just for your service to this country, but your continued service and liberty in this country. Thank you. Brian Colfog. Thank you. God bless him. Well, our audience here in the studio giving a standing ovation to Brian Colfog. Would you like to join with him as he battles for equal treatment and access on social media? I have to believe you absolutely want to, and he can use your help. Facebook and other social media platforms ought not to be banning or editing conservatives right before the election while letting liberals say and do whatever they wish to encourage voters to do. And if you want Brian's pages back on Facebook so he can speak clearly and freely, visit fightforfreespeech.com to learn more. That's fight, the number four, freespeech.com. And Brian, we're gonna stand with you. I wanna keep in touch. Uh, I want you to be able to come back here and tell us that you've won the battle. I normally am not a big fan of lawsuits. I hope you sue <laughs> the Facebook out of them. I really do. And win. Oh, we will. All right, Keith. You still have the right to free speech around here, so since you've got it, why don't you tell us what we have coming up on the show? I would be glad to. Coming up, Grammy winner Russ Taft tells his secret story. Veteran hero advocates Judy Isaacs and Elias and Harrison Manyoma share a healing solution and a reunion of the Imperials, past and present, to perform on Huckabee. Welcome back. Hey, if you have not visited Huckabee.tv, be sure to do it right away. I mean, like, well, after the show, after you watch the show, because we don't want you to do it right now. You can watch our show on demand. You can just view your favorited segments over and over again. And while you're there, click on the link to my website, MikeHuckabee.com. You can get up-to-the-date uh, daily news that really matters. You can also click on the big blue button to access my Twitter feed at GovMikeHuckabee. It's all available 24 hours a day, seven days a week at Huckabee.tv. It was in 1976, Russ Taft exploded onto the music scene when he became the lead singer of the supergroup The Imperials. After a string of hits with The Imperials, Russ went on to have one of the biggest solo careers in all of Christian music history. But there's a dark side to Russ's fame in music that includes abuse, shame, and a secret struggle with alcoholism. The bright side to Russ's process of recovery was the journey that he walked with his wife, Tori. Russ's story of acceptance, 
freedom, and love of God is documented in a brand new film, and it's called I Still Believe. Here's a clip of the film. Shame is a prison. Abused as a child, shame told me that it was my fault. Singing for Jesus and living a secret life as an alcoholic, shame whispered, there is no hope. But prison doors were made to be open. Captives can be set free. I'm Russ Taff, and I still believe. And joining us with more about this incredible story, make welcome Russ and Tori Taff. Russ, Tori, great having you guys Thank you. Thank you. You are beloved in this town, but you know what? You're beloved all over America. People oh. have been blessed by your songs, and they never knew what was going on backstage. No. I mean, this is a powerful story, Russ, and, and that you've had the courage to tell it is in of itself, I think, a extraordinary, uh, just candor on your part. Right. I, I, uh, Daddy was a Pentecostal preacher, and... Um, we grew up with a God that didn't like us very much. Mm. And uh, you're just hanging by a thread over hell and at any moment he could let go. Uh, but the, the, the hard thing about that was the constant message. And they were raising me, my mom and dad, the way they were raised. Yeah. Daily, you're not good enough. You'll never be worth it. Uh, you're not worth the salt that goes on your bread. And it said to you so often that you start believing it. Mm. And, and then all of a sudden you are, uh, uh, brought to Nashville to this huge uh, machine called the Imperials, <laughs> and you win in Grammys, but in your heart, uh, you don't feel worthy. See, it's hard for me to believe that Russ Taff, <laughs> this guy that I have known, not a, you know, up close, but at a distance, I mean, I just assume Russ Taff is probably the most together guy I'd ever <laughs> meet in my life. Because on stage, I mean, you, mm -hmm. you had it all. Mm -hmm. But this was haunting you deep inside. Yeah, it, it, it was. And, and there was so much shame with, with my father. Uh, you know, he was jealous of me growing up. Mm. And so when I would do good, he would be threatened. And, uh, and Mama, uh, when you live in a house of that, you know, six months he's preaching and the other six months he's drunk and six months he's preaching and you're just getting this yin-yang of a message. But you carry all this into your adult life and you are... Uh, you're terrified hmm. and thinking that I'm going to get found out. I don't belong here. I don't, and no matter how many awards you got, it doesn't. If in your heart, you know, you don't feel worthy. We were in New York. There were three Heinekens in the fridge, and I just never drank. Hmm. And by the time I had the third one, I, honestly, I was praising God. I can live this way. All these voices are quiet. And I don't, I, you know, I don't hate myself. I, I don't feel like a fraud. Uh, and I knew nothing about grace. His mm. grace. Wow. That, uh, you know, that he was on my side and I was trying so hard to live the way I should live, but I kept falling up short and I would have maybe three days sober and then I'd relapse. And, and, and it just started this cycle of about 10 years of begging God to forgive me and then relapsing and, and begging him to forgive me and crying out for help. Please help me. Did people around you know this was going on? After a while. Yeah. I mean, After a while. It was not a big secret to the no, intimate I, circle, but certainly not in the, no. in, in the great no. public. When you grow up in a home of an alcoholic, you learn how to hide real well yeah. because you watch him. But, you know, God began to bring people into my life that saw what was going on, and I thought for sure they would judge me. I thought yeah. for sure it's over. Uh, because I built this image of myself that yeah. everybody in Arkansas saw, and, uh, and everybody liked this image, but behind this image was an Auschwitz survivor. Mm. You know, I, I, that, I was not getting any love. That image was, but it started, and it started a lot with, with, with her. She began to notice something very, very different, and, uh, and I began to change. You know, Tor, I look at you, and I think, I think you're the hero. You stayed oh, with him. Absolutely. You did. You continued to love him and walk with him. How did you do that? I would love to say it was because I'm like Mother Teresa. That I just, I have this. She's not. <laughs> I'm not. Um, I, I, I loved him. Mm. But 
but I also figured out that I could love him and leave if I had to. Yeah. And my vow was never, um, I'm staying no matter what. My vow was, he needs to get well. Mm. If it came to a point in which it was not healthy for me, and if I wasn't able to be part of the recovery, then um, I don't know, our, we, it would have looked, it would have been a different picture. But he worked extremely hard. And there were long periods of sobriety. There were like 10 years at a time. And then something would... My father passed away. His father passed yeah. away. and So then, much between he and I that was never settled. And then there'd be a, a relapse. But it wasn't, it wasn't 30 years of daily addiction. And I didn't see him actually drunk, impaired, until the very last uh, treatment when he was treated mm. for trauma. And the, the violence from his childhood was finally completely dealt with in a very experiential way. And that laid the groundwork for him to be able to come into to who he's always been. You know, I hope people see this film for one reason. They'll need to understand that Christians are not immune from pain, hurt, mm. shame, guilt, mm -hmm. alcoholism, everything that crushes the human spirit. Right. And you're being able to tell that story. Mm -hmm. I, I think you have no idea how powerful that is gonna be and how liberating that is gonna be for so many people out there. See Russ Taff and I Still Believe. It's a one night only movie. It's gonna be playing in over 700 theaters on Tuesday, October the 30th. Got that? Tuesday, October the 30th, coming up. So to get your tickets for I Still Believe in Your City, go to RussTaffMovie.com. That's RussTaffMovie.com. And please don't miss Russ Taff's new album, Believe. It's available beginning November the 2nd. Music sellers everywhere and at RussTaff.com. And then a little later in the show, we have something extraordinary. <laughs> you do. And all I can do is tell our audience, you do not, you cannot, you must not tune away. You're going to have to watch because we have something that is music history and it's going to happen right here on this show. Right now, Keith Bilbrey is standing by to tell us more of what's to come. I would love to. Coming up, Eric Metaxas unveils his latest book, Donald Drains the Swamp. Then Mike has news headlines to make you smile and in case you missed it. And you don't want to miss an amazing Imperials reunion to sing their biggest hits on Huckabee. My next guest is a radio host and author of multiple bestsellers, including a recent biography of Martin Luther. His latest takes a hilarious look at Washington, and it's a children's book. It's called Donald Drains the Swamp. Welcome back to the show, Eric Metaxas. I love being here, thank you. You know, it's so funny because typically I'm reading stuff from you and it's about Martin Luther and it's about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and now you've done this children's book about Donald Trump draining the swamp. So yeah. how did the children's book come about after all these very serious biopics that you've done? Well, uh, no joke. I've written 30 children's books over the years, and I've written a lot of humor. And once the president got elected, I said, you know what? This guy is kind of a folk hero. He's larger than life. I ought to do a kid's book with my friend Tim Raglan because he's the greatest illustrator in the world. And it is as funny as anything I've ever done because, you know, it's kind of based on a true story. Yeah, there's a true story behind all of this. But how did you make a book about Donald Trump uh, suitable for children? We wanted to write a fable that you could explain the most basic ideas of what's happening in America to little kids. At the same time, there's a lot of humor for adults. The swamp creatures are really nasty. One of them might look like Senator Schumer. Another one might look like a certain, well, it's a turtle, but I'm not going to mention any names. But the point is that it's meant to be funny for adults. There's a lot of jokes for adults. The biggest, baddest swamp creature, well, actually, the first swamp creature is a labiosaurus. Uh, I don't know what that even means. But the Labiosaurus tells Donald, listen, the king doesn't talk to anybody who doesn't live in the swamp. They think the sw everybody outside the swamp is uneducated, they're uncultured, they're deplorable. He doesn't want to talk to anybody outside the swamp. So they say, well, look, we're going to get drastic. We're going to drain the swamp. And of course, the swamp 
is made of money. That's why nobody wants to leave. The king doesn't want to leave. And when he starts to drain the swamp by building, digging a trench, it's going to be the best, biggest trench you've ever seen. And he's going to get the swamp people to pay for it. Actually, that's not true. But it's going to be the biggest, best trench. They start digging the swamp. And the nastiest swamp creature of all comes out. And the nastiest swamp creature is called the George Osaurus. Oh, no. So there's some stuff for adults. <laughs> there's some adult stuff in there. There's other funny stuff, but I'm not going to get into it now. Yeah, but Eric, you know that a lot of people on the left have zero, I mean zero, sense of humor. Will they get the joke or will they be offended and march all over your neighborhood and come to your restaurant table and put their hands in your food? Right, let, let them try. <laughs> I have to say that... Uh, if, if your friend has any sense of humor, you know, and, but they don't love Trump, it's a good gift. If they have no sense of humor, make sure you get them two copies, preferably signed by the author. Well, Eric Metaxas' new book is a great way to teach your kids about how Washington works or doesn't. And it's a clever and funny gift for adults. You can find Donald Drains the Swamp and all of his other best-selling books, videos, and more at ericmetaxas.com. Fortunately, this show doesn't need any swamp draining, so Keith Bilbrey is about to tell us what we have to look forward to. Coming up, news you won't believe is true on In Case You Missed It. Then later, Judy Isaacs and Elias and Harrison Manyoma tell us about American and Israeli heroes and the Imperials' one-night-only reunion here on Huckabee. I highly encourage you to join Hillsdale College for their free online course on our Constitution. It'll revolutionize your thinking on our nation. Visit Hillsdale College online today. Learn more about their fantastic free course on the U.S. Constitution. Well, from nose sculpture thieves to a politician who's missing his toilets, we've got the news that, well, you're going to do your best to forget on a segment that we like to call In Case You Missed It. Well, one of the many things that I love about Southerners is their good manners. So I was shocked when a sociology professor at Ole Miss tweeted this, quote, don't just interrupt a senator's meal, y'all. Put your whole fingers in their salads. Take their appetizers and distribute them to the other diners. Bring boxes and take their food home with you on the way out. They don't deserve your civility, end quote. Now, unless he's trying to save conservatives from the obesity epidemic, that's not just uncivil, it's uncouth and unsanitary. And a good way to get someone to kick your asparagus is what that's all about. <laughs> well, Ole Miss condemned his remarks saying, they don't represent the school's values. But don't let that y'all fool you. He's not the rarest of creatures, a rude southerner. He's from urban Kansas City. Now, he did his dissertation on comedy clubs as venues for radical politics. Sounds like a great way to waste your parents' tuition, the way that he's now wasting his own students' tuition. He teaches a class called Social Problems. Well, takes one to know one. So I hereby serve warning. If anyone sticks his fingers in my barbecue or redistributes my onion rings, I'm going to stick a fork in you because I'm done tolerating this childish behavior. Keep your fingers out of my food, professor, or your fingers will end up unhinged just like your disposition. All in the sweet, sweet spirit that I will muster. Now, if I said J.B. Pritzker's toilets, most of you would think I'm promoting a plumber or a supply store. But if you're from the land of Lincoln, and I'm talking Illinois, you know that I'm talking about the Democrat candidate for governor. Why are his commodes a matter of public discussion? Well, candidate Pritzker is the heir to the Hyatt Hotel fortune and is worth $3.2 billion. Did I say billion? Yes, I did. $3.2 billion. But back in 2007, he thought of a way to save taxes. Mr. Pritzker had bought a second mansion next to the one that he already lived at in Chicago. He allowed his backup mansion to stay vacant and fall into bad shape. Several years later, the Cook County inspector discovered that Pritzker had removed all five toilets from the empty mansion so it could be classified as uninhabitable. In a tax appeal, he filed 
in order to avoid the taxes. Now, when the county assessor's office realized the Pritzkers could not go number one or number two, they lowered the 6,378-square-foot mansion's assessed value from $6.3 million to about $1.1 million. What's the end result? Property tax refunds of $331,432.03 for the years between 2012 and 2016. Sounds like Mr. Pritzker cried wee-wee all the way to the bank. I'm sure I'm going to get some letters for that. Go ahead and send them, it's fine. Well, the county inspector general declared that the county had been intentionally defrauded. Candidate Pritzker agreed to pay back the monies, but defended his decision as it followed the rules. Pritzker's opponent, incumbent Bruce Rauner, has been running ads calling his opponent the porcelain prince of tax avoidance. <laughs> Despite the billionaire's toilet removal, a Southern Illinois University poll shows that Pritzker is ahead by 22 points over Governor Rauner. No wonder from people from Illinois keep moving down here to Tennessee. No state taxes and no toilet bandit billionaires. I'm telling you, the whole story ought to be flushed from our memory. And from our post-nasal drip file, there is a $6.27 reward. Yep, that's right, $6.27. Uh, reward for information leading to the return of a stolen 50-pound nose sculpture in Oregon. No joke here. Someone actually stole a 50-pound nose. And someone had a 50-pound nose to steal. Actually makes you wonder why your nose runs and your feet smell. But I digress. The two-foot-high nose was stolen off the Albert family's front porch in Portland. That's the very same 50-pound nose sculpture that someone else had thrown away after last Halloween. Well, you know the old saying, one man's trash is another man's 50-pound mucus-making machine. <laughs> it's just something we thought was really funny and made us a part of Keep or Portland Weird, said 11-year-old Sarah Albert, as he told KGWTV. The Alberts have been putting up missing 50-pound nose posters all over the neighborhood in hopes of seeing the return of their beloved nose. Sayer and his brother Albert are offering the $6.27 reward only because their mother nixed the idea of a $2,000 reward. And one more question. Why is a plastic surgeon's office the only place adults don't get mad when you pick your nose? In other nostril-related news, a British woman has stormed the fashion world with a great new accessory, earmuffs for the nose. Sally Steele-Jones is offering nose warmer in an array of styles for people who want nose warmth with a dash of flash. Steele-Jones said she got the idea when her nose was genuinely cold one day. While her company started small, one style, she soon realized there were people and noses of all shapes and sizes that were just too nippy and needed a nuzzle. And thus, the Nose Warmer Company was born. She said her website ships the Nose Warmers worldwide for a price of only about $10. Some people have said, even if you wear this with a runny nose, it's still very fashionable and practical. We say it's not. <laughs> now, I know what I'm buying my family for Christmas. How about you? Well, like a journalistic nuzzle to your incredibly inquisitive mind, we read the news so you don't have to. Keith, I'm not even going to ask you about your nose, but tell us, what else is coming up over there? Well, I would love to. Next, meet the amazing folks from Heroes to Heroes, then Mike's closing thoughts in the rap. And don't miss the grand finale reunion and performance of the Imperials. Straight ahead on Huckabee. My next guests are from a veterans aid organization that I believe in so strongly that my wife Janet and I are honorary co-national chairpersons. It's called Heroes to Heroes. I want you to welcome its founder and president, Judy Isaacson Elias, and the program and development manager, Harrison Manyoma. Great to have both of you guys here. Thank you, Thank you so much. All right, Judy, I'm going to start with you because you were a successful Wall Street executive and you left all of that 
in order to start a nonprofit. I mean, most people don't do what you have done. So why did you do it? It's about my it's about heart. And it, I saw, I'm a daughter of a World War II veteran, mm -hmm. very proud guy. He passed away in 2001, and I found out so much about him when he passed away. He suffered greatly. He was in a lot of pain. Second day Normandy, Battle of the Bulge, oh. liberator of the concentration camps. Wow. He never came home. And as a child, I didn't know it. He's my dad, you know, my world in so many ways. And when he passed, I found out, you know, he'd, he'd been helping wounded veterans, um, taking his time to do that, but he suffered. Wow. And I was invited to visit our soldiers at Walter Reed in December 2009. And I was, as a mom, as an American, I was horrified at what I saw. Mm. It would pain me greatly that our soldiers didn't want to come home. They were afraid. I, and when you say come home, it's not just physically coming home. It's emotionally, spiritually coming home. Right. Well, they didn't know how to come home emotionally and yeah. spiritually. Physically, they wanted to be back with their, their teams, their units. Mm -hmm. I started learning about moral injury. And that's when you're asked to do something so abhorrent, you can't live with yourself and the guilt. Mm. And I said, maybe this is what's going on. When I was 16 years old, I was going through a very rough time. My parents sent me on a trip to Israel. I put my hand on the Western Wall, and it changed my life. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm not alone. God is with me. And I thought back to that time, and I said, well, if our soldiers are suffering, what if I took those veterans on a spiritual journey, and they could walk in the place that Jesus Christ walked, and they could find themselves, get baptized in the Jordan River, would they come back? Hmm. And that's how Heroes to Heroes started. It's an incredible experience. I was with you and a group of American veterans in 2014. Mm -hmm. Janet and I had gone to show solidarity with the Israelis when they were going through the Gaza War. And it was a very tough time for the nation of Israel. And mm -hmm. I remember Judy going into hospitals with American wounded warriors, mm -hmm. introducing them to Israeli soldiers who had been wounded, fighting the same radical Islamist right. enemy. Yeah. And what happened in, in that, those hospital rooms was, it was unbelievable. Harrison, your own story is, is incredible because you are one of those folks who came home with a lot of hurt in your heart. Uh, yes, sir. I was in a place where my kids didn't love me anymore. They didn't call me dad. They were afraid of me. Uh, I lost my, my wife. Uh, I was losing everything. And uh, I just felt that if I just kill myself, then they'll be in a better place. And at the moment where I put the gun to my head, I, I prayed one more time. I asked the Lord to show me. If he is who he says he is, show me. And at that moment, my phone rings, and I have a gun to my head and it's heroes to heroes. They called you right when you were ready to end it. Yes, sir. Yes, and sir. What, did they, what did they call you for? They said, hey, we're with heroes to heroes. We're looking for Harrison. They said that um, you served the community well. We would love to have you in Israel. Uh, hey, please call us back in five minutes. And they hung up the phone. They didn't know that I had a gun to my head. And Unbelievable. At that moment, I still didn't like myself. I didn't feel worthy of anything. My moral injury was at a level where I didn't care about nothing. I just cared about taking my own life so that I can live without any more pain. Judy is my mom. She is my heaven sent angel. The organization is not an organization, Governor. It's a family. Wow. And families wow. help brothers and sisters, men and women. And that's why I'm still alive here today, helping other veterans say yes to Heroes to Heroes. Harrison, when I look at your face, you have one of the most joy-filled faces. There's a radiance about you. I mean, there really is when I've met you. I, I just can't imagine the other Harrison that almost ended this beautiful life that is sitting right across from me right now. How can people help Heroes to Heroes? Um, we can use your help financially. Yes. Very, very important, even more so, if you know a veteran who's suffering, that's right. uh, many of you in your churches, you see that there's someone, a, someone's son or daughter is no longer coming to church, mm. is no longer involved in the community. Right. Please refer them. 
Sister. Reach out to your clergy. Yes. Let your clergy know that we're here. And our goal is to save as many lives as possible. Well, I, I've seen firsthand Harrison is a living example of lives saved. I want to thank my guests for creating this fantastic organization that's saving veterans' lives and healing their souls. Help them with their important mission. If you'd like to learn more about the organization Heroes to Heroes and you'd like to join the cause, visit the website, heroestoheroes.org. That's heroestoheroes.org. All right, Keith. You might even be my hero if you let us know what we have coming up after the break. Well, coming up next here, Mike's closing thoughts in the rap. And then an incredible Imperials reunion to sing their biggest hits. More Huckabee coming up in 60 seconds. So you've always heard the saying, don't take a knife to a gunfight. Well, tonight... I want to talk a bit why you shouldn't take a pen and a paper to an assassination by bone saws. It's all in tonight's wrap. Hey, remind me to never get in a fist fight with some Saudi Arabian guys in suits walking around with bone saws. <laughs> Jamal Khashoggi, the Washington Post columnist who went into the Saudi consulate but never came out, was apparently murdered by a squad of 15 Saudis who later gave several explanations, starting with, they didn't know anything about it, to later, it was an interrogation that went bad, and to the latest and lamest, that it was a fist fight that got out of hand. Well, first of all, a 15 to 1 fist fight isn't something that goes bad, that's something that starts out bad for the one guy taking on 15 people. And how many people show up for an interview or a fist fight with a bone saw? Well, hey, it sure came in handy when Khashoggi was dismembered in many pieces. And another strange piece, probably a bad choice of words, is how the 15 guys captured on surveillance video ended up leaving the building wearing the suit that Khashoggi wore when he entered. So did the fist fight happen after they all took their clothes off? Because it's kind of hard to cut a guy to many parts and not mess up his suit unless he isn't wearing it anymore. So the question becomes, how does the U.S. and the rest of the world respond to this? The Saudis promise they'll get to the bottom of it. Oh, sure. And O.J. is going to find Nicole's killer. <laughs> Governments do some pretty nasty things to people, but when they get caught, they have to pay a price. We're about to sell them over $100 billion, That's right, $100 billion worth of military hardware. Do we cancel the sale? Seems like we have to. Because if there's not a heavy price to pay for such savage behavior, the world will only see more of it. And let's be sure not to sell them any bone saws either. And that's a wrap. Well, our next guests sang with Elvis. They helped usher in the contemporary Christian music genre, and they are still singing with greater gusto than ever. Would you please welcome Armand Morales, Rick Evans, Lonnie Ott, and Robbie Heiner, better known as the Classic Imperials. Yeah. Great having you guys here. What a pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you, Governor. Welcome. You know, I've been listening to the Imperials for, well, let's just say for a long time, going back to my young years when I loved the music of the Imperials. And, and what, a, what a career. Tell us, though, you really did sing with Elvis for quite some time. About three years. What was Actually, that? Actually, we had Elvis and Jimmy Dean contract at the same time. So uh, it was exciting. He was a dear, dear friend of mine. He was really human, personal. And not many people knew him the way we did, but he treated us like a friend. Did you ever see the transformation of Christian music from what used to be Southern gospel to something that was really well, we, reaching we grew, young people? We grew up in Southern gospel, and I loved it. I yeah. really did. It was a, it's still an awesome, awesome kind of music. But the Lord really spoke to me that there's a bigger audience outside of that venue. And so I said, well, I would grew up in California. My background in music is big band and uh, horns and strings. And I said, I think God would like us to do a more popular sound. So we stepped out with the Imperials and started doing a more pop sound. 
and uh, it worked. And, and the fact that you guys continue to bless people with Amen. your music and minister to them with the songs and the lyrics, it is an extraordinary thing. And we're so happy to have you, you. Uh, with us tonight. All right, Keith. The Classic Imperials are an incredible group, and they have a brand new album. It features wonderful new songs and performances you will listen to time and again. It's available now at your favorite online music retailers and at their website, theclassicimperials.com. Be sure to get your copy of this fantastic new album. Mike, back to you. Now, we promised earlier tonight that joining these talented gentlemen for a reunion medley are two alumni from the Imperials circa 1985. Welcome Russ Taff and Jim Murray to sing a medley of their biggest hits together. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we've got a whole lot of Imperials back together again. <laughs> it's going to be phenomenal. Welcome, please, the Imperials. struggle that shatters all your dreams and your hopes have been cruelly crushed by Satan's manifested schemes and you feel the urge within you to submit to earthly fear don't let the faith you're standing in seem to disappear but pray All my sins forgiven. 
Never knowing what your song was to be Then pull up the 